As a listener of Made For You and Me, you probably care about the planet and are conscious of the products you use. That's why we're excited to offer our listeners an exclusive discount on all Solterra Shop products. Shop from apparel to skincare to household goods that are made from sustainable materials and natural ingredients. Visit SolterraShop.com and use the promo code MADE4PODCAST10, that's MADE4PODCAST10, all one word, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. Hey everyone, my name is Nick. And my name's Kat. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Made for You and Me, an educational and entertaining podcast on the history, geology, wildlife, and other fun facts within America's best idea. What is it? I forgot. Oh, it's the National Parks. Oh, I was going to say Cheetos. Woo! Uh, welcome to season four. Oh my goodness. That's hard to believe. How crazy is that? Yeah. Uh, we had a pretty good break, but we are so stoked to be back. To get back into it. Yeah. It, I needed it like two weeks ago, but I also needed the break. So it was hard. Yeah, I, don't, I can't say that I needed it two weeks ago. Mm. I was thoroughly enjoying the break. Ready to be back. Whenever we decided that this was the day to start recording, I was thoroughly and genuinely pumped. But I mean, I needed that, fi- that time. What was it? Five weeks? I don't know. But I'm sure that everyone that is listening is like, well, I'm ready to hear some more i'm sure everyone that's listening can also hear that truck that i don't know what is going on it is 4:54 in the evening so it should not be a trash truck but but it sounds like she's got dumps like a truck <laughs> she's got something yes. going on something's being hauled something's being moved anyway forgive that truck sound um but thank you for either becoming a new listener or returning as a listener We appreciate you. We really appreciate you. Today's episode, the kickoff to season four, is going to be Yellowstone Part One. Pew, 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 pew. Should we like pause until the truck goes away? No, I think everyone likes the truck. Okay. It adds flavor. (laughs) Thank you for that confidence. (laughs) I'm going to hate it going back and recording, but... I mean, whatever. Yellowstone National Park, part one. So whenever Kat and I started to do some research, we were like, let's start with a bang for season four, Yellowstone. One of the biggest, one of the baddest, definitely the oldest, and just go in cannonballing. But what we realized was this is like, I mean, similar to the size of the park, this is just a massive episode. So we're doing it in two parts. Um, Our typical Nick doing the history kind of like background of the park and then cat doing her critter corner (laughs) nature geography wildlife but they're just going to be in two separate episodes one for us not sitting here talking for an hour and a half maybe two hours and two for you to digest it in a manageable amount there was a time when you were going to make a little song for my critter corner i thought about that today yeah when i was at the gym and I just have to forgive myself for never doing that. (laughs) Yeah, you probably should forgive yourself. And be okay with it because it's bandwidth, you know? I don't know. I don't have it. Didn't have it. Can I have it it for Christmas? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, ooh, I just need like five more hours in the day. Imagine the things I could do. And then I'm like, but I don't really want five more hours Mm -hmm. in the day. I'm okay like 
prioritizing and just ending the day and being like, what? See you tomorrow, you know? So I go back and forth with that. Uh, any, anything else you want to say, Kat, or should we just go right for it? Um, I think we should go for it. Okay. So Yellowstone National Park. If you listened, which we know you did, to our first two episodes ever on the creation of the National Park Service, you know that Yellowstone was integral to creating the National Park Service and establishing protected areas, not just in the United States, but setting that precedent for the, the universe. universe, for the <laughs> world. So um, if you haven't listened to those episodes, we would go back and encourage you to do so. Mind you, those were our very first two. So be polite and notice that they're going to be a little rough. Um, But still, if you want that background information and you haven't heard it yet, go take a listen. Um, And if not, you can learn more about Yellowstone right now. Some background information about the park. It's an American national park located primarily, I say primarily, in Wyoming because it's a massive park and it extends into Montana and Idaho. It was not only the country's first, but the world's first national park established in 1872. It averages 3.8 million visitors annually and is the second most visited national park in the U.S. after Great Smoky Mountains. It is over 2.2 million acres, one of the largest national parks in the United States. And for comparison, it is bigger than Rhode Island and Delaware combined. Big old park. If you look at it on a map, it takes up like a solid chunk of Wyoming. It's there, here to stay. So quick facts about Yellowstone that kind of give you an illustration of just the grandeur and the reason for it getting all the attention that initially did. Um, Over half of the world's geysers and hydrothermal features are located in Yellowstone. Over half of the world's. That's pretty, like, that's a very concentrated area. Significant. And that's pretty impressive that there are so many just in that one area. Um, it contains the largest supervolcano in North America. See our supervolcano episode from season three. And it is home to the largest concentration of mammals in the lower 48 states. So again, we're going to have a part two and Kat's going to tell you all about that. But lots going on here. Geothermal, geographical, geological activity, as well as animal life. Big things. Um, so... Let's talk about human history and exploration and the creation of Yellowstone as a national park. So the human history of the park began at least 11,000 years ago, going way, way, way back when Native Americans began to hunt and fish in the region. Not exactly sure where they came from. I mean, there's the theory that Native Americans um, came from present-day Russia over the ice bridge into Alaska, down into... So, 11,000 years ago, very, very long time. Not sure if these Native Americans came from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, wherever, but they appeared in that region about 11,000 years ago. Um, And we know this because there are objects made from obsidian that have been found that date to about that time period. Kat, have you ever heard of obsidian? Yeah. It sounds fake. It sounds like, um, what's the help me out? Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Cat would not know pop culture. Wait, what am I thinking of? It it, it sounds like vibranium. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> Thank you for humoring me. But anyway, to me, it sounds fake. Well, you don't have a bunch of friends that are super into crystals. I really don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that one protects you against something. Okay. Yes. Um, so do you know what obsidian is, though? It's a crystal. <laughs> it's a crystal. Specifically, it is a naturally occurring glass that is made when lava rapidly cools. So it's black, it's glass, and it can be a sharp tool. So Paleo-Indians of the Clovis culture used the significant amounts of obsidian, which were found in the park due to all the volcanoes, to make cutting tools and weapons. Arrowheads made from Yellowstone obsidian have been found as far as the Mississippi Valley. I've actually found some as well. Have you? Yeah, here. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that indicates that there was a regular obsidian trade that existed long, long, long time yeah. ago between local tribes and remote tribes. Um, I guess it was a pretty hot commodity because instead of having to sharpen stones that occurred naturally, uh, pretty sharp, pretty slick, and was easier to fashion into whatever tool you were going to make it into. Or whatever crystal you needed around your neck at that time. Whatever type of spirits or energy you um, were trying to summon at Mm -hmm. that time. Uh, So by the time white explorers first entered the region during the Lewis and Clark expedition in 1805, they encountered Native American groups like the Nez Perce, the Crow, and the Shoshone tribes. And also think about that, 1805. So America settlement started in the late 1500s, early 1600s. So for a long time when, I mean, America was already established as a country in 1805. So I don't know, just kind of picture like there was already bustling cities like New York City and even in North Carolina and a lot going on as far as civilization Mm -hmm. by the time the whites explored this part of the country. Gotcha. Yeah, pretty interesting. So while passing through present-day Montana, the expedition members heard of the Yellowstone region to the south because if you see the map of Lewis and Clark and the route that they traveled, they kind of just go right over it. Mm -hmm. Um, So they heard about Yellowstone, but they did not investigate it. But someone else did just a few years later. The site's first non-Indian visitor was most likely a man named John Coulter. He was a former member of the Lewis and Clark's Corps of Discovery expedition, but he embarked on a career as a fur trapper, did like a little solo mission. So in the winter of 1807 to 1808, he made a solo journey into the Yellowstone region and supposedly returned with stories of its canyons, waterfalls, and gurgling hot springs. A nearby area even became known as Coulter's Hell. After his seemingly unbelievable description of its geothermal activity, the bubbling mud, the bubbling water. I mean, remember, this is winter in 1800, so very cold, still hot locations. So it was known as Coulter's Hell. While historians still debate the extent of Coulter's travels, many now believe he was the first white man to experience what later became Yellowstone National Park. And so over the next 40 years, not too much really happened. There were numerous reports from mountain men and trappers who told of boiling mud, steaming rivers, and petrified trees, yet most of these reports were believed at the time to be a myth. Hmm. They were like, I can't believe that. Uh, Additionally, the Civil War prevented further expedition of the area. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right, so skipping over the Civil War, 
There were three expeditions in 1869, 1870, and 1871. And I'll talk about these expeditions just a little bit because there are little stories to each of them. The explorations kind of refueled excitement in Yellowstone that was lost during the Civil War. Obviously, the country's attention was turned towards ending slavery. Whoop, whoop. Big success. And so now that the Civil War was over and a little bit more exploration could continue, um, people got more excited about Yellowstone. So explorers traveled to places like Fall Tower, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone, Geyser Basins, Yellowstone Lake, Mud Volcano, Firehole River, and much more places. Like, keep in mind, this is a big place, so there are lots of locations with clever names. (laughs) I like Firehole River the best. Okay, so that was mostly 1869. They went to all these places. They named them. They had a jolly old time. During one of these excursions in 1870, a Montana bureaucrat named Truman Everts became separated from his party and was eventually given up for dead. They lost him and they were like, oh, sayonara. Um, So this was fall. So the winter hadn't come quite yet, but in that area of the country, even during fall, it gets really, really chilly. So they were like, he gone. Truman lost his horse and most of his supplies. He was 54 years old at the time, so not like a young whippersnapper. He spent over a month surviving on thistle and enduring snowstorms, delirium, and a painful scalding from a hot spring. By the time he was finally found alive in October, he weighed just 90 pounds and was suffering from frostbite so severe that it had worn his feet to the bone. Everett's rescuers described him as looking like nothing but a shadow, but he eventually recovered and even wrote an account of his lost time in the wilderness, and he titled it 37 Days of Peril. Peril indeed. I want to read that. (laughs) His tale of survival has since been credited with helping publicize the movement to make Yellowstone a national park. Very cool. Thank you for losing your feet so that we can have (laughs) Yellowstone. And thank you other people for finding him. Uh, So the third expedition in 1871 is called the Hayden Expedition. And overall, this gave the world an improved map of Yellowstone. And it also gave the country visual proof of the area's unique formations and sites. So going back to a lot of the fur trappers and mountain men's tales of all the locations and all the cool things that were going on in here that were still considered myths with some of the photographs by William Henry Jackson and the art of Henry W. Elliott and Thomas Moran, people could physically see, not in person, but see images of these pretty cool places and uh, could buy into the beauty and the uniqueness of present-day Yellowstone. Um, So the expedition's reports excited the scientific community and aroused even more national interest in Yellowstone. And Thomas Moran's art was extremely influential in creating the park. He produced more than 30 sketches and watercolors of Yellowstone's cliffs, geysers, and rivers. Uh, Combined with photographs, Moran's artwork offered Americans their first glimpse of the area's natural beauty. And when the paintings were later exhibited in Congress, they helped win many politicians over to the idea of making Yellowstone a national park. Yay! Um, And then the park was established in... 1872. As crazy and big and detailed as the history of this park is, the actual act of Congress wasn't an Hmm. ordeal. Okay. It wasn't like crazy convincing or a long drawn out process. Um, It was pretty simple. It was proposed to Congress and they were like, cool, 
So they didn't all have to go like they did for exactly. Yosemite. Yeah, and, yeah. No one had to go, go physically see it, yeah. see it and get. They're like, we did that before. Yeah, it's fine. They we'll, saw all the we'll pictures and they were like, cool. We <laughs> we like it. Let's do it. However, after the park was established, there was considerable local opposition to the Yellowstone National Park uh, right away during its early years. Some of the locals feared that the regional economy would be unable to thrive if there were strict federal prohibitions against resources and the development or even settlement within the park boundaries. Right. Because again, this is the first national park and people are learning of the rules. Oh, we can't uh, hunt or build houses or mine or cut down trees. So people were worried about um, their businesses and their way of life. Granted, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, very big place, plenty of other places to do all that. But for those who were already familiar with the Yellowstone region, they were like, oh, shoot, like we had access to this land and now we can't do anything. Um, so people were upset that they couldn't mine, hunt, log, do all those activities and develop the land. Numerous bills were introduced into Congress by Montana representatives who sought to remove the federal land use restrictions, but they were unsuccessful. Womp womp. Um, for the next several years, there were also issues with poaching deer and buffalo and elk, and there were no real practical methods to prevent poaching, and there were no rangers, and there were no staff, and even the first superintendent of the park didn't have a salary. Oh, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> that does not I mean, help yeah, at all. that's just a title. What are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> so poaching was a really serious problem, but it was just illegal. But without a way to, um, you know, punish and convict and actually like have really negative consequences for people poaching, nothing was done. Um, so for the next several years, that was actually a really big deal. Yep. And Kat's probably going to talk about how the buffalo population started to kind of come back and thrive in the development of Yellowstone National Park, but they were still threatened because of poaching. So once Congress saw that they were basically there was basically no point to having a park if you weren't going to provide monetary resources or uh, have a budget for staff or rangers. Um, they were like, okay, we'll throw a little bit of money your way. And that helped a lot. Um, they gave it the budget. They gave it some people to supervise the land. And then expansion of the railroad also increased visitors very gradually. So now that brings us to the 1870s and the 1880s. This is the sad part, but I have to include it because not all history is good. Um, but during this time, Native American tribes were effectively excluded from the national park. Only a few tribes had made seasonal use of the Yellowstone area. Um, the only people who were allowed as residents year-round were small bands of the Eastern Shoshone. Um, so there was a handshake agreement that other Native American tribes could use the land for hunting or seasonal purposes. But... The Shoshone people left that area under the assurance of a treaty that was negotiated in 1868 under which they would um, secede their lands but retain the right to hunt. Um, however, the United States never ratified that treaty and refused to recognize the claims of the Eastern Shoshone or any of the other tribes that for years and years and years had used Yellowstone. Native people were forced out of the area by the U.S. Army and sought asylum in Canada. 
So they found a way to get the people out, but they couldn't get the poachers out. They couldn't get the poachers out, but That's they got lame. the people who were that, using yeah. the land wisely and kindly out. Over the next couple of decades, progress was made to continue protection and actually give teeth to the rules, such as poaching. Uh, the Park Protection Act was passed, and laws were created to punish poachers. Uh, more funding became available with the necessary manpower to protect the wildlife, and the National Park Service was created in 1916, and the Army turned over their control to the National Park Service. By 1915, 1,000 cars were entering the park every year, and during the 1930s, the Civilian Conservation Corps developed trails, campgrounds, roads, hazard reduction, so we're seeing this become more of a quote-unquote park that welcomed visitors. But during World War II, tourist travel fell dramatically, staffing was cut, many facilities fell into disrepair, and it stayed that way for about a decade, but by the 1950s, visitation increased tremendously, not just in Yellowstone, but within other national parks. And to accommodate the increased visitation, park officials implemented Mission 66. So this was an effort to modernize and expand park service facilities, and it was planned to be completed by 1966 in honor of the 50th anniversary of the founding of the National Park Service. Going to 1988, um, there were enormous forest fires in 1988 that damaged about a third of the park, leading to a systematic reevaluation of fire management policies. I didn't get into that too much, but the fire season of 1988 was considered normal until a combination of drought and heat by mid-July contributed to an extreme, extreme fire danger. Um, and there was a day called Black Saturday on August 20th, 1988, where strong winds expanded the fires rapidly, and in a single day, more than 150,000 acres burned. Dang. Dang. Yeah, that's not good. Most all of that is alive and back and healthy today. So, also things that have taken place over the past couple decades, Yellowstone was, des was designated an International Biosphere Reserve in 1976, a UN World Heritage Site in 1978, the park was placed on the list of World Heritage in Danger locations from 1995 to 2003 due to the effects of tourism, infection of wildlife, and issues with invasive species, but it was taken off the list. And in 2010, Yellowstone National Park was honored with its own quarter under the American the Beautiful Quarters program. Beautiful. Yay. Yeah. Uh, so, I know that was quick. This could be a really long episode, like we said, mm -hmm. if we were going to do um, wildlife within the same one. But but there's also a lot of episodes that we have that you can let, like, Parkitecture yeah. was there. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, you're... The super volcano. The super volcano, and then the first one, so, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's more in lot. there. Since we typically do history, and then a break, and then wildlife, and then we go back into, like, park coolness and things mm -hmm. to do and main attractions i didn't want to save all of that for Perfect. the next episode so we're still gonna do i still wanted to do like some of what makes the park so cool and then we'll come back and do even more of that at the end of part two cats episode next week um so for now i'll just leave you with two key features of yellowstone national park so there was a reason there's a reason that yellowstone was the world's first national park and there's also a reason that some of the geothermal activities within the park were thought to be a myth. Um, because until you see it for yourself or 
understand it, you almost can't believe some of the stuff that's going on in Yellowstone. So let's talk about some of the most amazing things and top attractions within Yellowstone National Park. Like I said, we'll do two this episode and we'll do more um, in part two. But I have first the Grand Prismatic Spring. (laughs) Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. I had never heard of... So you probably, as a listener, have seen pictures of the Grand Prismatic Spring, but I never heard it called that. I kind of just like Mm. thought... I don't know. I don't really know what I thought. But um, if you Google pictures of Yellowstone, if you have seen anything really Yellowstone related on social media or on the internet, if you're listening to this podcast, you have seen this before, most likely. Um, So the Grand Prismatic Spring is the highlight of the Midway Geyser Basin, and it's the largest hot spring in the United States. It is the best recognized and the most photographed landmark of Yellowstone. It's bigger than a football field and deeper than a 10-story building. I didn't know it was deep. I thought it was just vast. Yeah. But it's it's actually a really deep spring. If you see it in person, you should be prepared to be a little underwhelmed only because it's photographed most popularly from above. The best view is from the sky. It's still amazing to witness in person because you don't realize how large it is and just like the colors and just how amazing it is until you stand in its presence. But the best viewpoint is from an aerial view. So the Grand Prismatic Spring displays a rainbow of colors with bright bands of orange, yellow, green, and blue. You know what it looks like? My first thought was that it looks like the eye of a dragon or like some (laughs) mythical creature. Um, So on the outside, it's like yellow and orange. Mm -hmm. um, And it has like these bands and these rings. And then as you get closer to the center of it, it has much larger. It's like greenish. And then turns into like a blue and then a really, really deep blue in the center. And most of it's blue. And you know what it looks like is if you are looking at a Doppler radar and you see a storm. Yeah. You know how like the yes. colors, like the most concentration of rain and thunder and lightning. And then as you get to the outskirts of the storm, it changes colors. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Kind of like an oil painting of that. But it's beautiful. And remember, it's really deep and the size of a football field. So definitely Google this either to see it for the first time and be amazed or uh, to remind yourself of how awesome this is. So the multicolored layers get their hues from different species of thermophile or heat-loving bacteria living in the progressively cooler water around the spring. So it's hot in the middle and then it gets a little bit cooler as you go more outside the circle. The deep blue center is that way because the color scatters the blue wavelengths of light more than others, reflecting blues back to our eyes. So we don't really know what color, like Mm. what true colors the hot spring is. We just see the blue more because of the blue wavelengths. So there are animals or maybe like even goggles that you can put on that can show you like the real colors of it but i thought that was pretty interesting that is wild it's very pretty and very colorful but what we see as like the blue which is most of the spring it's not necessarily blue blue really Mm. yeah so meta so meta so these heat loving microbes living in yellowstone's thermal pools have helped investigators solve crimes they've helped nasa search for extraterrestrial life on seemingly inhospitable planets 
1968, researcher Thomas Brock discovered a microbe living in one of the Yellowstone's extremely hot springs. And in recent years, research on Yellowstone's microbes has led to major medical and scientific advances. I would encourage you to look up that on your own if you want to. We're not going to go into that, except that one of these advances includes the sequencing of the entire human genome. What? Which, just like let that, I don't, I'm not a scientist, and I like just science in general goes over my head, hard sciences anyway, but, so I don't understand that, <laughs> but even if, if I feel like you are one to like kind of even grasp that, that is still so wild. Yeah, no, that, that's really cool. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so you can view the Grand Prismatic Spring from Boardwalks, and it's even wheelchair accessible. Yeah, and don't step on it. Don't step don't on step it. Don't step anywhere they tell you not to step. Yeah, no, that stay on the boardwalk. recently. Did it? Yeah, and then Ew. they fell. Did they die? No. Oh. They just look terrible for the rest of their life I've, now. I've read a few stories about people dying in the hot springs. Yeah, don't. Don't. Yeah, You're there, not special. There are boardwalks. There are designated areas. Yes. Um, yeah, it's very, very hot. Volcano hot. So, stay on the boardwalk. Stay where you're supposed to stay. Um, keep but your no, dog on a leash. Keep your dog on a damn leash, please. <laughs> um, but no matter what time of year you go, uh, it's almost certainly going to be busy. Yes. Yes. Second highlight of the park is the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. So, please don't be mad if we didn't highlight your favorite place in this episode. We're going to do more in part two. Uh, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone is exactly what it sounds like, a massive canyon in the middle of the park. Uh, it's one of the main landmarks of Yellowstone. It's over 24 miles long. It's up to 4,000 feet wide and 1,200 feet deep. There are several lookouts and walking trails along both rims of the canyon, and you can spend as little as an hour or as much as all day at Yellowstone Canyon. So if you do want to um, spend all day and are willing to walk a little bit, this allows you to escape the crowds. Um, like we said, Yellowstone, very popular, almost always very crowded. So if you want to get away from the crowds, this is probably a good hike and a good place for you to visit. The most popular place along the canyon is Artist Point. It's a lookout of the South Rim that offers an exceptional view of the canyon and the beautiful Lower Falls waterfall. Also very picturesque, also something you should Google while you are Googling the prismatic spring. Woo, and I um, need some water. My mouth is dry and I'm ready for tacos. But yeah, yo. that was if a part one of Yellowstone. Boop, boop. I love it. You did a great job. Any it's questions, really thoughts, comments, critiques, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities? So I did look up Obsidian, and it's truth-enhancing. Oh, my gosh. And a strongly protective stone, it forms a shield against negativity. So we, we all need a little bit of that. Yeah. So. Anyway. Uh, you know what that so also sounds like? Taking a week off of social media. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like a social media hiatus and Obsidian <laughs> like, oh. are the same thing. Oh, yeah. We should just call it Obsidian when we take a week off wow. or forever. A new name for it. Um, that's good stuff. Cool. Well, I have completely forgotten like what we say at the if end of the If you like episode. this just a little bit, <laughs> and you should hashtag us. Like and subscribe and hashtag and follow us on social media. Do all the things. Yeah, share it with friends. And you can follow us at MFYAM Podcast. And you can also listen anywhere you get your podcast. 
Yay. Yay. We, we did a great job with this. <laughs> we totally do not need to read this off the page anymore. <laughs> We've got this under control. And you know why? Because you're beautiful. Bye.